MS sucks. I know. I've lived with it since 1998, and man, it's been one hell of a roller coaster. When people ask, how are you doing? I say, fine. Great. Really? Most of the time, it's a lie, because we're programmed to hide our struggles. I'm not a doctor or a researcher. I'm just a normal guy talking from experience. And let me tell you, sharing those experiences with other people living with MS has made my life a hundred times better. So get ready for a belly up to the bar, honest conversation with real people who at first hesitate to tell the truth about life with MS, but eventually let it all hang out. I'm your host, Jim Fairchild. How you really doing? Be you. Two simple words that Lindsay Hendershot has found to be a path to happiness and healing for herself. You know, this along with a very positive mental attitude and the power of choice has been a great recipe for her. Uh, I met Lindsay over a year ago when she was living in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Then a career shift took her on to Boulder, Colorado. Uh, So besides MS, we also have Colorado in common because that's where I'm from. Lindsay is an amazingly interesting, vivacious, and passionate MSer uh, who attacks her disease in so many ways, ways that I have never heard of, uh, especially the first 12 months after her diagnosis, and she will tell you all about that. Uh, she has a perspective that I am totally enthralled with. You know, she takes her positive attitude throughout every aspect of her life, and I have just learned so much from her. You know, from the BU tattoo on the palm of her hand uh, to the way she deals with daily situations, Lindsay is living her life by being her, something I admire very, very much. Uh, She has some really good coping mechanisms that I have never heard of and I actually have learned a lot from. Uh, Things that I'm actually, since this podcast, are trying to do in my life now because they make a lot of sense and they work. You know, Lindsay was diagnosed with relapsing remitting MS in September of 2011 when she was 27 years old. Uh, She usually deals with numbness in her entire body and sometimes completely loses the use of her hands. But right now, she's full functioning and she has been in remission, she says, for about seven to nine months. So I would say that the recipe she has found is working wonders for her. Um... Both of Lindsay's parents have lived with MS, Uh, and only six months before this podcast, Lindsay lost her dad, which definitely leaves a huge hole in her heart and life because they were super close. Uh, On top of MS, Dave Hendershot also had COPD, or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is a progressive disease that makes it hard to breathe, you know, so he ultimately died from lack of oxygen. Lindsay's dad was her best friend and told her all the time to be good, be safe, and be you. So you can see that the tattoo on Lindsay's hand not only speaks about her, but is also honoring her dad as well. Of the many things Lindsay says in this podcast, one that stands out for me is that she loves herself more now with MS than she ever loved herself before her diagnosis. And literally, I heard this for the first time, I'm like, that was very foreign to me because I sometimes think that my able body is the part that made my life normal or right, uh, which is wrong. (laughs) But as this sunk in more, I realized that MS has taught me 
a ton of things. And as I have accepted it, it has brought me some silver linings. Silver linings that have definitely made my life better. So yes, I do agree. I love myself more now because before MS, I took so much of life for granted. As you'll hear in this podcast, Lindsay is an open book about her MS and is very active on social media. So I have put all of her contact stuff in the written information about this podcast, or you can find it on my website at howyoureallydoing.com. There's no G, so how you really doing? She welcomes interaction, so if you want to get in on her positivity, you can. Uh, This interview actually took place in late November, so you'll understand why I mentioned football and my Peyton Manning jersey, you know, but it really does take me a while sometimes to put these things together. So it is now February, and Lindsay wanted me to share with you that she does now have someone special in her life, which she didn't have at the time of this podcast recording. I am so happy for Lindsay, not only because she has someone to share her life with, but also because I know she overcame some huge hurdles in order to get there. On a kind of serious note, I got to remind you guys that we talk about a lot of things during our conversation and we share our opinions, but I am not a doctor, Lindsay is not a doctor, and we are only speaking from experience. So you should always check with your doctors before you try anything. All right, seriousness out of the way. Now get ready to learn about being you. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me all the way from Boulder, Colorado, and uh, the big move from Portland to Colorado. How has that been going? It's been wonderful. Um, I was reluctant to move because I do love Portland, Oregon, but um, was approached with an amazing opportunity in my career and thought that it was the right move, and it has proved to be so. It's been wonderful. Well, good. And uh, I'm from Colorado, and so people can't see this, but I have my Peyton Manning jersey on right now just for the Colorado tie. And have you noticed a difference with altitude or or any of the Colorado things, you know, with your MS? Well, prior to living in Portland, I did live in northern Colorado at a higher elevation and experienced relapses fairly regularly. Um, I vacationed in Portland and always felt really good. And so that was mm-hmm. one of the reasons that drew me to move there was to be at sea level and um, just the moisture and everything. Um, I, to be honest, after I moved there, I had a pretty serious relapse and was unable to drive for a period of time. Um, so it didn't prove that location really mattered right. in my case. Um, and since I, my return to Colorado, um, my disease has won for me. It has been really great. Um, this is the longest period of time that I've had, um, with slight symptoms and Mm -hmm. full relapse free. Wow. Wow. So I always get super interested in this because, um, can you attribute that to stress or job change or have other things changed in your life that may attribute to that? I would definitely attribute one of the big reasons was the the particular position that I had in Portland, Oregon. I have worked for the same company for eight years and have done the same job. The position, though, that I had in Portland was extremely stressful, and the emotions were at a probably an 11 every single day. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's hard. And um, since my return here, my mental state... Um, in my general life is different mm-hmm. and my work environment is completely different. 
So I'd attribute it more to that, um, especially since I'm in a higher elevation and, um, yeah. Wonderful. Um, and you were diagnosed in 2011, so not that long ago. Um, can you tell me about your diagnosis and how that all went down and then how you handled things right afterwards? Yeah. Um, about December of 2010, um, I had terrible brain and upper spinal pain. Um, not comparable to a migraine, but just extreme pain. Um, went to my primary care physician. They weren't sure what was wrong, so they sent me to the emergency room. Um, at the time where I lived, there was an outbreak of meningitis, so they immediately did a spinal tap for meningitis, which was mm. negative. And we come now to know that that was my first serious relapse. And so um, the journey took nine months to fully get diagnosed and to figure out what was happening inside my body. Uh-huh. Um, at first, doctors thought that um, the relapses I was having then after in my arms, um, almost like a stroke. I mean, it would affect my face and my arms would become completely paralyzed, that it was scar tissue from that original um, spinal tap. But after seeing neurologists, they clearly said that's absolutely not the case. So my official diagnosis was September of 2011. Um, I started treatment within the next 30 days. So at the time I was diagnosed, I was married, had been married for three years and with um, that person for five. And he did not want to participate or have anything to do with shots. Um, The next option was the very first oral medication that came out for multiple sclerosis, which is Jelenia. Uh And it had been on the market for about nine months. Not much was known about it. Um, And so I immediately said, yeah, that's the fit for me. Um, I know I could have given shots to myself, but that wasn't something that I wanted to do necessarily. Uh So um, started on Jelenia, October of 2011, and I've been on that same treatment ever since. When you did, you went to the oral treatment, did that help the, you know, the, your husband at that time? No, he, um, or you know what? Let's back up because um, can you tell me once you're diagnosed, uh, this is, as we've talked before, one of the most amazing, interesting uh, thought processes, really. How were your first 12 months after you were diagnosed? So my first 12 months looked like this. Um, Some background information to know is that my dad was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 1990 prior to, or at that time, there was no um, treatment offered. But the first drug that came out was betaseron, and he was immediately on that. And then my mom was diagnosed in 2005, and she started on Rebif. And so I was very familiar with the disease. And I, when I initially got the diagnosis, I was very relieved that, oh, wow, I had something that I actually know about, and then I'm mm-hmm. comfortable, and I'm already have a community and I got this, no big deal. Um, my reality of my new body and my new medication and dealing with the fact that mentally I felt like my body had let me down, um, that's a different story. The first 12 months I made the conscious decision to sabotage my body 
to, I guess, ultimately have payback over this disease that I was diagnosed with. And, and that's the interesting part to me. Where did that, I'm sorry to cut you off because I, I definitely want to hear the rest, but um, how did that decision come about? Because uh, it's obviously so different for all of us. So yeah. how did that decision come about, especially since your mom and dad had been, are, you know, have MS as well? Um, part of it was that I was 27 years old, and to me, that was young. I know there's a lot of people out there that have been diagnosed a lot younger. Um, I was sad and disappointed, and what is my future going to look like, and how are mm -hmm. people going to treat me? And then the other aspect of that was that my husband at the time just wanted me to live a normal life, didn't want me to relapse. And when I did have relapses, he would get very upset with me and just, well, can't you just use your arms right now? Well, no, I actually can't. And so that's when it became so apparent to me that this is an actual thing. Like uh -huh. I can't just pretend like, oh, well, my parents live with it every day. I can do this. So I suppose it's that, that, it's the grieving process, right? It's the same as a death. It's those right. seven stages of grieving. And so I was eating Chick-fil-A every single morning for breakfast and Wendy's every day for lunch. And sometimes I would even eat Taco Johns on the drive home. Uh -huh. And I would drink and I started smoking cigarettes. And uh -huh. I wasn't doing very much socialization because I no longer felt this connection to the outside world. I felt different. Yeah. And I was on this mission for 12 months to sabotage my body. And I wasn't going to let anything get in the way of that. So you were good at it. And, you, and yeah. you told yourself, I give myself 12 months and then I'll stop. Yep. I picked a date on the calendar that um, I was no longer going to behave that way, basically. I was going to try and get through the whole seven stages of the grieving process and do it my way. And um, that was also probably an excuse to eat the way I was eating and drink uh -huh. the way I was drinking um, because, oh, I have 12 months to do this. Uh -huh. So I'm going to get it all in while I can. So do you think that 12 months helped? I mean, with... You know, obviously, we all grieve in our own way, and we all have our own ways of doing things. You know, do you think that the way you did it helped you get to where you are now? Absolutely. Um, there were times during that 12 months that I would get really angry and um, rage, so to speak, by myself about what my body was doing and how I was feeling. Eating that way and drinking that way, you can imagine I gained a fair amount of weight. I gained 45 pounds, and um, my disease was different at a heavier weight. Um, yeah. And the way I felt about myself and, and how I carried myself was different. Um, towards the end of that 12 months, I looked forward to that end date mm -hmm. because I knew that's when I had to commit to gaining control again. Uh-huh. And I wanted to make sure that I had gotten through all my mental stuff about the disease. Um, no longer being upset and knowing that that date was coming to that my life was going to, I was going to choose a different reality for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I'm a very black and white and analytical person. I'm a, once something happens, I just want to know a game plan to move forward. And that was my game plan. And so, yeah, I, you know, I got to say that's, 
it, it seems to me you are very black and white and that you had a game plan, you gave yourself a date, and you ran with that, which just, it, it amazes me, actually. Um, so I've never heard of anybody else doing that. Um, do you think you went through the whole seven stages of grieving during that year? Not completely. Um, most of it, yes. Um, and of course, there was some lingering for that last day. Once it hit on the calendar, I mean, I went all out. Uh-huh. Ate everything I wanted, drank everything I wanted, knew it was the end. Had a party, so to speak, by myself for the uh-huh. end of this first chapter. And of course, for the next six months, there were times where I wanted to slip back into that behavior or would have get upset or saddened by what could be my future. Uh-huh. But um, I, I, I tried to process it as much as I could in that 12. So I'd have to say it was just probably the lingering effects of the diagnosis to begin with. Yeah, which is amazing how you did this. How was your disease during that 12 months? I mean, I know that you mentioned the weight gain um, with the drinking and the cigarettes. How did your disease react? Um, it did not react favorably to me. Yeah. Um, there were many times where, um, you know, at times where my hands would lock up in my face and I would fall and, uh-huh. um, or I couldn't put shoes and socks on and I didn't have anybody there. Um, like I said, I was married at that time, but I didn't have anybody uh-huh. there to help me. And right. So what happened with your husband during that 12 months? So during that 12 months, um, he saw me kind of self-sabotaging and he knew I had told him what the plan was and the end date. Uh-huh. Um, and I just, I guess expected that the, uh, this other human being would like, oh, okay, well that seems like an awesome plan. But really he was just watching his significant other kind of go into this hole. And he also, we're divorced now and we've spoken about this at length. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't do the work that he needed to do, so to speak, to deal with the diagnosis. He just right. wanted me to be the regular wife that I was before. And so he didn't go through any therapy. He didn't mentally prepare. He didn't research the disease. He didn't care to know about it. He didn't care for me to talk about it. And so it caused problems. Now, when that last day came, he did say, you need to do P90X every day now. Oh, boy. <laughs> Which was a little hard because I gained a little bit of weight and hadn't right. had that happen. Right. Habit. But one important thing that happened during that 12 months was uh-huh. I had a hard time relating with people that didn't have a disease. Mm-hmm. And a good friend of mine, I, w- I was talking to her and telling her, man, I'm just having a hard time. I go to work. And people say, well, how was your night last night? And somebody else says, well, I didn't sleep at all. And I really just wanted to punch them in the face. Because totally. I'm like, oh, did, did you have to check your body this morning before you got out of bed to see what worked? Probably uh-huh. not. And she said to me, Lindsay, your reality is not their reality. Their reality is that they weren't able to sleep last night. And that is okay. Yeah, And as soon as she said that to me, the light went on for me as to, she's totally right. My reality is not their reality. And that's, if, if their life, if all that happens in their life is they had crappy sleep last night, then that yeah. is a big deal to them. And so to be respectful of that. And then also dealing with the, oh, my aunt has MS. Oh, yes. 
Right, as if we all get this giant newsletter when we get diagnosed with everyone's name on it that right. got diagnosed. Like, oh, I saw her. Yeah, her last name's... Oh, yeah, you you know her. And, and um, I, I always like the one... Uh, have you ever... You know, you should get rid of all the silver fillings in your mouth. <laughs> or, you know, something like that. That, you know, um, my uh, cousin's brother's friend has MS and, and he did this. So... I understand the feeling of wanting to punch somebody in the face yeah. because it, it it gets very frustrating. Or when somebody's biggest issue or, uh, you know, they come to you and say, oh, you know, I'm so mad that I can't lose this 10 pounds. Does that ever huh. get you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it exactly. drives me nuts because I'm like, well, you can run. You can do something about that. You know, it, it makes me. Yeah, I, I have had this conversation with uh, a lot of people recently because I find myself getting mad at those things. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I um, during that 12 months, I really tried to process how do I not immediately get mad at this person for their response? Because the truth is most people don't know how to deal with other people who have been diagnosed with something. Right. It doesn't have to be multiple sclerosis. It can be cancer. It can be anything else. But most human beings were not necessarily built with those coping mechanisms to then just not even say anything. Like, you don't have to say anything back to us. Right. And and that's the hard part, you know, because they are coming at it with a very big heart. And they're right. they're trying to help. They just don't know how to relate. So um, have you found different ways to cope with that? I have. Um to be honest with you, now I'm a lot more kind-hearted when someone responds with, oh, my aunt has MS. I, my natural response is to make a joke like, oh, yeah, I already knew that. She was on the giant newsletter that went out. I like but, that. <laughs> That's a good one. But the other is, huh, because sometimes it's better not to say anything mm -hmm. and just to let it roll off. So when a friend asks, how are you? You know, we all know the friends that really want to know. And then there's those friends that we're not sure. So my response is, do you really want to know? And mm -hmm. if they say yes, which I'm giving them an opportunity to say no as well. If they say yes, which happened recently with a friend, um, I told him about my walking the dog and my feet being as heavy as bricks. And his response was, well, can't you just work out more? Uh -huh. And I just started laughing and I said, you know what you should do for our friendship and for your own knowledge is you should Google multiple sclerosis. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that is a great response. I love it. And then we can have a conversation about it after yeah. you've read about it. So seriously, he just asks, you know, after you tell him about the dog, he just thinks you should work out more. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. And so what did uh, you tell him? I said, are you fucking serious? <laughs> And then I said, for our friendship and for your knowledge, you need to Google and read about it. it. Did he take you up on that? Did he do anything about that? We've never talked about it since, and he's never asked me how I was doing. So I maybe he read about it and realized what the disease actually is. Um, and maybe he didn't and knows that that's going to be my reaction. Right. But doesn't that reaction help you inside knowing that you answered honestly and it's like, do you really want to know or are you just being polite? 
Because Correct. there's times where you just say, oh, I'm fine, and then you just go about your business, but that's obviously not how you're fucking doing that day. Yep, exactly. And there are times where people will ask me, and they do really want to know, and I don't respond um, with how I'm actually doing, and that's more of just privacy for me at this point in my disease. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, the friendship part, I mean, I can tell you that... Um, year and a half ago, I met this significant person in my life that was going through a divorce at the same time I was. And we really connected and we talked on the phone once. And the next day he called me and said, Oh my gosh, I stayed up all night long and I read about multiple sclerosis and like, what an interesting disease. And there's so many different stories and there's so many different levels and there's so many different treatments. And he even knew things that I didn't know. And so he, we are forever connected. He will forever be a part of my life. That meant so much to me. Or recently I met somebody new and, and we've spent some time together. And I think that person's way of bringing up, I'm acknowledging that you have a disease was, oh, I read about MS today. And this is what the article said. And I get more of that than really like, how are you doing? Um, because I am full functioning. Um, my relapses have been very scarce. I've been in remission now. Oh, geez, going on seven months at least, if not nine. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's not apparent to people that I might have issues, even though I maybe can't feel my legs. I'm still walking. Right. So they assume I'm totally fine. Um, and I actually like it that people don't ask, how are you doing? Because Uh mentally, I feel like the more we go to what we're not feeling good about, the more we focus on that area. And so waking up today, I I wasn't a hundred percent. I'll be honest. I was about 80. And instead I immediately thought, at least I have a job to go to. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm going to get up and go to that. There's a lot of people that don't even have a job and don't have a disease. And so I'm going to be grateful for that and just being alive. And so I pick my areas of focus in the morning when I wake up instead of my hands are a little tingly because then I, I've noticed with my disease, if my hands are tingly and I focus on that, are they going to be reliable all day? Or I get self-conscious about why well, I have client meetings today and are, am I going to be able to use a pen? Mm-hmm. Then more times than not, I'm not able to use the pen. You know, and um, it's amazing what your mind can do, isn't it? It is. It's the largest muscle in our body, and we should treat it as such. Yes, and, and uh, you know, it can be your, your greatest ally or your worst enemy, enemy, both at the same time. Have you found that? I have. Um, kind of going back to the first 12 months, um, that last day, I just decided I'm going to choose my reality every day. And so, as I mentioned, when I get up in the morning, I'm going to choose what my focus points are for the day and, and where I'm going to spend my energy and my thoughts. Um, and I truly believe that that is how I've been able to manage this disease better than anything else, better than treatment that I've been on. Um, obviously with my move, it wasn't that easy to get my medication. And so I was off of it for a while, but with mental toughness. Yeah. Um, and, and choices. And, yep. And the power of choice. Um, it doesn't make it all feel fine every day, but I'd have to say that it helped me stay in remission. Yeah. Um, so 
I'm going to put myself out there a bit because I have been waking up really negative lately. And so um, I need a little, I've been trying to give myself a little kick uh, to do that. So um, what would you tell people that are fueling the negative more than the positive? Um, how much do you love you? That's the first question I'd ask is how much do you love you? You know what? That's a great response. That is a perfect response. And, and, uh, that leads me into something about, um, you that I love as well is, uh, your tattoo. You just got a brand new spanking tattoo, which is amazing. And I wish people could see it. Maybe I'll have to post a picture of it, but, uh, talk about your new tattoo. Well, um, comes from two places. Um, in the last first, you got to say what it is. It's a it is a palm tattoo on my palm that people can read when I have my hand up, and it is on my right hand, and it says "Be You." So when you give somebody a high five, what they read is "Be You." Be You, and it's pretty large. It is the full size of my um, knuckles on the inside of my palm. Yeah, and, and when I, you know, when I go to sign in with you on Skype, like we are right now, your little tagline is "Be You." So you're living this. You are living you and loving you, um, which. I know that that helps. So um, keep on going about your tattoo. Yeah, I um, it stems from a couple different places. Um, in the past 19 months, um, I've gotten a divorce. Um, and the reason for me getting a divorce was clearly the spouse that I had said I do to was not going to recognize the fact that I had a disease. And I loved me mm-hmm. more than I loved saying I do. And I knew that being in a situation like that um, could severely decrease my condition and my disease. So I consciously left, um, got an attorney and just walked away, um, which was not an easy thing to do and took a lot of therapy to get through. But Oh, I'm sure. And, and it still amazes me. You're young and you are making these black and white amazing decisions, which, you know, I'm quite a bit older than you and I still am having a hard time making these decisions. So, um, that's amazing. And, and it has helped your disease where you are now, it sounds like. Yeah. Um, that conscious decision to love me more than this situation was that choice at that time. And then, um, my best friend in the whole entire world, my dad, David Hendershot just passed Mm. away six months ago. And, um, I'm very sorry about that, especially it's just hard to lose a parent and a best friend at the same time. It is. And I, um, appreciate you saying that. Um, I have to say that our relationship was amazing. And he said all the time to me, Lindsay, be good, be safe, be you. Wow. And so, so your tattoo is really honoring him as well. Yeah. Um, he, always loved being around me and told me how much he loved being around me. And I'm a big laugher and I'm a big jokester. And, um, he just said, your, your energy is big. Just always be you no matter what room, no matter what situation, be you when you're going through strife or when you're diagnosed with MS or whatever. And so, um, really my journey over the last 19 months has been the power of choice and people responding to me with, oh, wow, you just power through every day, even though you have a disease that could have this unknown future mm-hmm. um, through 
my divorce and my dad's death, I have just been me and been happy. So to bring this full circle to what you said earlier, and especially about, I know what it feels like to wake up and be negative. Um, I wake up now and have for the past 19 months with my heart wanting to explode out of my chest because I'm so happy. Mm -hmm. Um, I would attribute that to like boil it down to the small things. Like I said, just having a job or if that's not your reality, what is your reality that you're grateful for? Focus on those instead of focusing on the deficiencies and the things that you don't have. Um, There was a moment a month ago that I was on my way to a client meeting and all of a sudden my hands just curled up and I couldn't drive anymore. So I pulled over and instead of worrying about being late, I was like, well, I'm going to play some music even louder, take a couple deep breaths, did just that, drank some water, just kind of calmed myself and boom. Hands were working, back on the steering wheel, made it to the meeting on time. It's that control in your brain of what is your reality and what do you want it to be? Do you want it to be that you're sad and negative and mad? Or do you want to be happy and a light in the world? Choices, baby. Choices. Yeah. And, you know, turning up the music is a lot more fun than... Uh, worrying about your hands tingling. And I know for sure you are right that your hands will tingle more when you focus on them uh, because that has always happened my way. And then, you know, stress will increase that way. Um, Where is laughter during your day? Because I know you're a laugher (laughs) and I know you like to laugh. And um, I think that there's a lot of sarcasm in your day. So what does laughter play a role as? Um. Well, by the way, I love your laugh. I think it's thank fantastic. You, thank you so much. Well, for example, when I was in Portland, there was um, some coworkers that actually complained that I laughed too much. That is not possible. I know, right? There, well, there is do, no such thing. I do have a loud, carrying laugh. I don't know if something got crossed in my body when I was born, but um, apparently I laugh even when I'm in pain. And oh. so I do laugh myself to sleep at night sometimes. And I think that there's just this inner joy of. I have MS and I don't know what my future is going to look like and I lost my husband in a divorce and I just lost my dad and I could go on and the list is so sad or I could just be happy that I'm even alive and on earth. Mm -hmm. That is what I've chosen is to just be happy that I'm alive every day and that I get to experience this life one more day because it could end in a car accident and have nothing to do with multiple sclerosis or I could just enjoy the day. Which so is, I laugh a lot. <laughs> laughter is so good. It, what a great way to enjoy the day. And there's no way that anything crossed at birth. And if it did cross, it crossed in a good way. Good way. Totally yeah, agree. Because I think laughter is, is, is truly the best medicine. And do you find yourself hanging out with people that, that are going to laugh with you compared to the people who try to bring in the negative? Yeah. I um, The... The last two years, I've really been selective of who I give my energy to, which mm-hmm. I do not always succeed at that. Let me tell you. I'm it's just, a very tough thing to do. And, it is. And, and saying goodbye to, and maybe not actually saying goodbye, but letting those ties kind of fade out. Um, you know, keeping your inner circle tight of those people who are champions for you and mm-hmm. who really love and honor and respect being around you. And that you can trust that you can go to and say, you know what, my body's not working today and I'm not mentally strong enough to be there today, whether it's at work or at an event. 
Um, so now I'm pretty picky about who gets to be in my inner circle. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm pretty honest about that. I will tell people, you know, I don't, this doesn't work for me. Um, I'm glad that we had this exchange or this interaction, but this right. isn't going to work for me long term because I need to protect what I give my energy to and what's coming back at it. If I'm spending time with people who are negative, uh-uh. Yeah, I mean, that ends up draining you more than giving you what you need. And um, does that fulfill your life? I mean, you, you may not, you know, do you ever think, okay, well, I could be talking to this person. Um, do you ever have a guilt that you're not keeping up with some people? Or is it all about what is working with you? You know, now I'm pretty honest. Um, growing up, I would tell people on the playground, I don't like you. I don't want to be friends with you. And my mom would say that is so harsh. And so <laughs> I tried so you're to... good at you're good at saying what's on your mind. Right. Getting. Definitely. Yes. Um, and then I became a lot more soft and let a bunch of people into my life and felt like, oh, I have to be nice to everyone because my mom said and now, you know, I was just in a in a situation a week ago where a friend came out to visit that was diagnosed with colon cancer and we grew up mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And um He's in his first nine months, and it wasn't pretty when I saw him after I got off work, and it scared me a little bit because he had been drinking too much and got into anger, and he was supposed to stay with me, and I said, I don't care that you have colon cancer, and I don't care that you're going through chemo, and I don't, I don't care because I don't have this kind of energy around me. I just don't. I love me. Again, I go, it goes back to I love me and this disease I have more than letting my environment get interrupted by anything else. Um, just to make that story, because it sounds very horrible and harsh, um, he did say that nobody's. That weeks later, he um, contacted me and said nobody's cut him off from that behavior. That he's uh -huh. just been allowed to do that. And he said, "I, I appreciate you kicking me out, so to speak, of your environment. And I need to take a look at myself and how I'm treating my disease." And I said, "You know, I was there." Right. I was right. there in the first 12 months, so don't think that I don't know what that behavior is like. But, you know, we need to protect what we love the most, which should be ourselves. And I would say to anybody out there that's struggling with even finding that love for themselves, start there. It doesn't matter that you have an MS. Start with a therapist or what you do love about yourself or what you can work on. Because that's the foundation for how you get through this every day. It's really helped me heal with just who I am. This is a part of me. I absolutely love Lindsay Hendershot with MS more than I ever loved Lindsay Hendershot without. Whatever Lindsay is selling, I'm buying. Man, oh man, there are so many things that ring true in the Lindsay-isms for me. I love when she says, protect what you love the most, which should be yourself. Seriously, how true is that? like being your own advocate with your doctors so you get the best care possible or saying what is really on your mind so you get it out and can move on. I love when she says she doesn't hate her MS, she loves it because it is part of her life. It is amazing how much can change in life by turning hate to love. So many times I've hated my disease. I've hated the fact that I can't do things. I've hated interactions that I've had with people. The bitterness this creates in my body is unhealthy. And it just drags me down really bad. As I look back over the course of my 16 years with MS, I can look at so many situations 
and see how they would have been better if I had accepted my disease and loved myself. I remember so many times in my past working life where I put work over my health, which ultimately not only caused problems for my body, but also my marriage, because I gave my energy to work and not myself, not my family, not my home. I had a very hard time saying no to work, so I wasn't loving myself, and I got worse health-wise because of that. To be very clear, the fact that I made these choices had nothing to do with my having MS, but it did affect my symptoms and cause exacerbations. This shows how important the power of choice is in all of our lives. I had a choice to say no, to draw lines at work or draw lines in relationships I had with people. To be honest, I look back and I know that I didn't love myself nearly enough to do this. The fact isn't because or have anything to do with MS. It's just part of who I am. But I can see now how Lindsay's attitude, her way of life, you know, her being herself, loving herself, makes a huge difference in how she's doing mentally and physically. I don't think there's any studies out there showing how a positive attitude affects multiple sclerosis. There's no stats to back up mindfulness and good health. Maybe there are some studies out there, so if you know of any, please pass them on. I'd love to see those. You know, I'm just going off of my conversations with Lindsay. And when you think about it, you just listen to how she goes about her life, how her positive attitude spreads throughout everything. And then you look at the fact that she's in remission. Again, no scientific correlation here whatsoever, but I do believe that love of myself, of the people around me, of my disease can help me feel better. You know, I, I really do work on this every day because love is so much more fun to have in my life than bitterness or hatred. And I truly, truly love what Lindsay's dad always said to her, be good, be safe, be you. I'm Jim Fairchild. Look forward to talking to you next time on How You Really Doing.